The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Work with Human Hands on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I am joined by none other than Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor at St. Gertrude, the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Father, as they say, whenever we hear the organs, we know that uh, it's going to be a show with you, and we're happy to have you back. Well, we hope this show isn't as minor key as that music was, but it's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Only major keys on the Work of Human Hands episode, which is uh, coming back uh, after a long winter's nap, uh, as well as uh, I guess it slept through Lent even, but we are we are happily back and uh, ready to dig back into a now in print work of human hands. So that was uh, something that we weren't able to offer uh, last season, but uh, and in fact I think Father just sent out an email promo. So if you want a copy of the book so you can follow along, if you were uh, crying that you weren't able to follow along last year, sggresources.org is where you can go to grab a book. And we're going to be going over chapter nine today, uh, the title of which is Revised Orations, New Values and New Perspectives. We want to I just point out to the listeners before we begin that we are still selling Work of Human Hands for $24.95, and this is a, a uh, considerable savings over Amazon, which is selling it beginning at 42 Dollars and going all the way up to, uh, I think, $1,199. If you want to buy a copy from me for the, that latter amount, we'd be happy to sell it to you. Well, and Father would even throw in an autograph for, for $1,000 extra dollars. Um, at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was discussing with Father before the beginning of the episode that this, this chapter is really an homage to uh, a book that I read long before I met Father Chikata, actually, called The Problems with the Prayers of the Modern Mass. And it was published by Tan Books, um, sold. They didn't keep Father completely up to date on the numbers sold, but we know at least 20,000 copies sold. Uh, we know of at least five, six, seven languages it was translated into. So this chapter substantially exists in many people's homes or potentially some, some Catholic bookstores um, who still carry this problems with the prayers of, of the modern mass. And I wouldn't say that that pamphlet was the inspiration, Father, but it was one of those threads that linked together this decade-long project for you. Uh, yes, it was. And I, I had at first envisioned the uh, what you'll see as chapter nine as uh, a, a chapter of work of human hands. But uh, as my um, uh, my workload in the uh, 1980s uh, increased, 
I had to put off the project of completing work of human hands. And I figured that it might be a, a worthwhile idea to publish just one chapter of it, which uh, is what I ended up doing, in effect, with uh, 10 books in 1991. So this is the, the uh, this was intended all the time to be part of work of human hands. It's just that it took... Um, a little longer to produce the book than I had initially anticipated, about 20 years longer. <laughs> well, so people should be heartened that, that book projects aren't supposed to be finished, you know, in one year or shorter. Yes, that's but right. persevere if it's going to take 20. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's interesting, as I was uh, rereading that, and it's um, I've, read, I've read the book a couple times now, but it's been a while since I have, have dug back in. And in prepping for the episode, obviously, I needed to reread the chapter. And I was struck by the, the spirit that I was reminded of when I was reading the, uh, the new prayers combined with the old prayers. I want to remind our listeners, if you, if you have the book, Father has them side by side. Often, the left side has a lot more text than the right side, because the right side dumped a bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah. The right side actually being the wrong side, if we think about it figuratively. <laughs> but, but on the right-hand side, we've got the, the Novus Ordo text. And as I was reading this again, I remembered the voices of the Norbertine fathers uh, in my ear telling me, well, what's wrong with that? You know, isn't that acceptable, Stephen? Or can you really say that that's not theologically correct? And and I being, I think I was, you know, 17, 16 at the time, I wasn't quite as precocious as Father Jakarta at that age. I, I simply said, well, I, I guess you're right. But what they were really saying, because obedience was the supreme virtue for them, obedience outweighs faith, obedience outweighs charity. Um, the most important thing was to obey. Uh, Father Chikata's told an anecdote about this, uh, that one of his superiors had said, well, if, if, if I receive a commandment from a superior not to believe in God, then I should obey that. The reality is this is a feminization or a, a defiguring, almost a, a removal of the vitality of these prayers. Yes, you can certainly, as the Norbertines tried to argue to me, say, well, Stephen, it's certainly not theologically inaccurate to say some, some such things, you know, so why don't you just go along? And the reality is it just removes the element of militancy and, you know, that horrible word triumphalism. I don't even I can say it in daylight. Uh, Father, it removes those elements from the liturgy. And those are things that's okay for us to be nourished on. It's okay for us to be nourished on, quote unquote, triumphalism. It's okay for us to be nourished on militancy, because that's part of the Catholic life. And being raised in the Novus Ordo, I didn't realize this. So I was listening to some of these prayers. And that was, that was my reality. And I, I think that's maybe the biggest thing for some of our listeners who are coming in from the Novus Ordo, they'll read this and go, well, there's nothing wrong with some of these prayers. But precisely the very fact that we say that reaction shows that we've already been damaged in some way. Well, and, and two, you don't really notice it, even if, if you're a liturgy fanatic, as I was, because the nature of, of what we're talking about in the, this issue, the uh, orations, the variable prayers that are part of the, the what we would call the propers, um, of the uh, mass, uh, even people who are experts don't necessarily 
uh, have uh, know the the traditional orations well enough to make a proper comparison between that and what they would hear on a typical Sunday in the Novus Ordo, because of course the nature of the propers is that for every feast and every Sunday uh, they uh, they are different. So this was an uh, unknown part of the uh, liturgical reform. That, as you say, there's nothing uh, in most cases directly uh, unorthodox or uh, heretical contrary to the Catholic faith in these different texts, but there is this process of uh, subtraction of uh, the the uh, neutering of these prayers, of any concepts that were uh, offensive to the notion of ecumenism or offensive to modern man. So it was, it was a, a, a very uh, subtle thing. Uh, something I uh, didn't even myself realize once I was, uh, even when I was ordained a priest and, and in the process of teaching a, a, a liturgy course. You tell that story, Father, actually in the beginning of this chapter, that it was it was by accident that uh, we, find, we find this out. But I suppose that a lot of your work uh, that you've done in the last uh, in the last 20 years, your body of work has been around this um, idea of having to go create the body of work for yourself because you didn't have another reference point. I suppose you, you've done a lot of do it yourself um, uh, studies behind behind this because there wasn't any precedent for you. Yeah, that's right. And it was hard enough to get the uh, get all the material together because, um, believe it or not, there was a time before the internet and powerful computers for doing <laughs> textual comparisons, and so you were faced with uh, two vast corpuses of of uh, Latin. Uh, the, the prayers of the uh, traditional missal, which had been uh, set down and organized by a French author uh, in the 1950s, and then the uh, Latin narrations of the new missal. Uh, and the Latin narrations of the new missal at the point at which I started this work uh, didn't even uh, have a comprehensive index to them. Uh, even the the, the sources uh, for them, the supposed sources, had not been published yet. So it was uh, it was quite an adventure trying to sort all of this out. Um, only only a part of of the sources of, uh, of the new missal had had been published in a fairly obscure Roman publication called Notitiae, which was run by the, um, the Congregation for Divine Worship. So. The process that I had to follow for this, and you're talking someone who is a complete non-geek, non-computer geek, was to uh, put together a primitive database so I could compare all of the uh, compare the differences and try to come up with some sort of an analysis of them. So it took it took me a couple of years actually to do this, but uh, uh, eventually these these certain themes. Uh, started to uh, started to emerge. Our younger listeners might imagine Father Chicada creating punch cards to put into a machine and then using a hand crank or something. If you are imagining that, it, it was close to that process. There wasn't such a thing as magical Google where you could type in a word. And, and I suppose 
Father, uh, on, a, on a footnote uh, or a side note, that's changed the way that you write and you research now. You have so much, you have so many more resources available to you now uh, that your, your output, the velocity is faster, but you're also able to respond faster because you, you don't have to maybe go to a dusty library in Milwaukee if such things even exist and, and find the, 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 the resources you need. Yes, it's, it, it is, in fact, quite extraordinary. In fact, I think now uh, that the a complete corpus of the orations of the new missile has been put online together with their sources, and subsequently, uh, subsequent to my study, a number of uh, other scholars have uh, worked on uh, these particular issues and uh, done different uh, analyses of uh, uh, the uh, orations of the Missile of Paul VI. So now it's a lot easier to do. Well, I started this in Medias Res, Father, so I'll bring us back to the beginning of the chapter. And have you defined for us what an oration is so people know clearly what we're speaking about in the Missile? Okay, well, an oration is, well, I'll give you an uh, example of it first. The, the collect of the Mass, of the Sunday Mass, is an oration. The secret prayer of the Sunday Mass, and the Novus Order, the prayer over the gifts, is an oration. The post-communion prayer in uh, both Masses is referred to as an oration. The a technical term in the Missal refers to a short prayer that is structured in a certain way, a certain set format, that sums up the particular idea of the feast being celebrated or uh, sums up some particular spiritual idea that the authors wanted uh, remembered on, say, a particular Sunday or on a particular weekday. So they all follow a, a fairly standard uh, format with an address of, of God attributing something to Almighty God, the phrase something like, we beseech you, and then the actual uh, petition itself. So uh, they are very short, very succinct prayers. And the total number of them in the traditional Missal, the total number of of texts, because some are repeated, of course, is something around 1,100. In the new Missal, the number of texts uh, is uh, approximately 1,400. Well, that's a lot of uh, stuff that you need to get rid of or destroy. And if you're the revisers, you got to get started on it right away. And I suppose I was struck by, and I, I have to imagine our listeners at this point are familiar with the entire ethos and spirit behind the changes. But I do think a couple of shocking quotes do need to be read. One is from a... a a gentleman named all, Father names all. I, I, this book, I, I love that it names names. But Father names everybody who was involved in the revision process. In uh, in contrast to the people who wrote the original post communions or secrets or or, or collects, that those have been lost over centuries, millennia. We don't really know who wrote those. I mean, they were beautiful. You don't need any special degrees to to write such things, but they were. Um, then looked at as ancient and, and old and need, needed to be revised. And there was a Father Auger who said that uh, in this reform, both texts and rites should be so drawn up that they express more clearly the holy things they signify. 
And we've seen this across a lot of different shows on our network, Father, where they say one thing and re- mean exactly the opposite. Or they, they use this cover of uh, a holy intention when the reality is, is anything but. Yes, indeed, that's, uh, that's how it works, that they speak the, the uh, language of, let us say, making it a more holy or uh, returning to the original sources, the pristine norms of the fathers of the church, in other words, the uh, patristic era, and still making an accommodation somehow for the mentality of modern man. So the, this is the, the cover language that you find in the writings of uh, most of the uh, so-called reformers. Uh, they they use this these these two uh, principles return to ancient tradition and uh, accommodation to the modern mentality which end up being contradictory principles uh, as the engine that uh, drives the changes that they introduce. Uh, you mentioned Father Matthias Auger, by the way, and um, he was still alive when Work of Human Hands appeared. And he had a, uh, a blog in Italian, uh, in um, which discussed liturgical matters. And uh, he was not exactly content with the content of my book. So the first <laughs> review I got of the book was rather negative from uh, Father uh, Father Auger, who said that it was a uh, it was slanderous, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in fact, I had quoted Father Auger quite accurately. So. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure that no one is shocked that Italians would be quite uh, uh, demonstrative or uh, uh, emotional about a particular text. But, one can uh, almost see the hands waving. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, and, but again, using the cover of language, we heard a giornamento for the council, and you note two phrases that Bugnini uses, qualche ritocci and arricimento, uh, touching up and enrichment. Again, touching up, you know, you think of uh, restoring a, a piece of art and maybe just, you know, there's some glazing that needs to be removed or some paint that needs to be retouched. You think, okay, touching up, what does that mean? And again, this yeah. is a code for completely destroying everything. Yeah, yes, it's, it's, it's a code. It's sort of, sort of like the Bugnini Chainsaw Massacre. When he says, <laughs> uh, when he says uh, touching up, uh, that's what he means. And then as far as enrichment, that's, uh, they still use that uh, in the, your liturgists who advocate um, uh, uh, additional changes in uh, the rites of the nose order. They always talk about enrichment. And enrichment, in fact, means the opposite. It's impoverishing it of anything, impoverishing the liturgy of anything traditional. So it's really a, a very uh, special Alice in Wonderland type of, uh, type of language. Well, and you're speaking of impoverishment, Father, but I suppose in some ways that makes sense. In a way, they're being intellectually consistent because of where they wanted to go with this. You, you cite uh, Braga, uh, who's Bugnini's assistant, mm-hmm. uh, Carlo Braga, and he, his quote is, this revision is called for in light of the new view of human values, considered in relation to and as a way to supernatural goods. The council clearly proposes this new view, and it was kept in mind when the temporal cycle was revised. So they're bringing the liturgy down to our level, and we we have an impoverished view. Modern, when I say we, I mean modern man. And so, in a way, 
they're just being consistent with their principles. And uh, is that fair to say, Father? Oh yes. And and uh, now the interesting thing is the uh, quote from uh, Father Braga was not written in, let's say, a uh, popular publication, something for widespread distribution. It was written in a magazine, uh, a scholarly journal called Ephemerides Liturgice, which means liturgical news, basically, uh, of which Bonini was uh, one of the editors. Uh, And he uh, outlines there very clearly what the, the principles of the reform and the direction of the reform are going to be for the scholars who read uh, obscure magazines like this. For the rest of the people in the vast majority of Catholics throughout the world, nothing about this really is is said. And if anyone objects, you're told that, well, it's just that, that the, the uh, teaching after the Reform is just, in terms of the liturgy is basically the same as it was before. There are no really substantial changes. So that's that's for the the idiots, most people being considered idiots. But for the people who are uh, inside on the inside creating the new liturgy, this is the uh, this is the message that we are making this this accommodation with the world. The other thing that that he says, and this this uh, appears in other uh, writers as well, he says it's uh, uh, an entirely new foundation of Eucharistic theology. Is, is is at work here, and I mean that is fairly um, that's a, a, a fairly shocking and fairly radical statement. How can you say that the reform is consistent if you're saying that we need an entirely new foundation of Eucharistic theology in the Mass, and that's what we're putting into effect? This gets us right into a theme that we've seen over and over. If you've got this new theology, one of the major cornerstones is an elimination of something that you see as a problem. We've seen this in Francis Watch, this idea of negative theology. You have to get rid of this negative theology. And we go back to Father Auger, uh, a big fan of Father's work. Some of these collects, in fact, spoke of, among other things, the punishments, anger, or divine wrath for our sins of a Christian assembly oppressed with guilt continually afflicted due to its disorders, threatened with condemnation to eternal punishment, etc. Well, I mean, these are, he says that these are ideas that are of little relevance to the mentality of modern man. So that, that is the, um, the shift, one of the essential shifts that's uh, going on here. So you have this, the notion of Vatican II's to uh, embrace and to accommodate the uh, false values of the world. So this naturally has to be reflected in the liturgy, and the modern man has no interest in uh, these negative ideas. Now, the whole idea of negative theology was something that is uh, a little bit, something that was a little bit uh, elusive when these these changes were uh, being introduced, that uh, no one said, uh, I heard no one say that, okay, uh, now we are going to eliminate negative theology from uh, the liturgy. But you had a sense uh, that there was now something that was missing in the new way of worship, and you couldn't quite put your finger on it. Uh, you couldn't put your finger exactly on what it was. It was easier 
when it came to the the new order of the mass to say, well, it undercuts the idea of transubstantiation, the real presence, and so on. But as as far as the idea of of this this these negative ideas disappearing, since most people did not have uh, an overall grasp of the the content of the propers of the new mass, well, or of, of the old mass, they had no basis for comparison. But still, there was the, that feeling that something is is gone, and this is one of the the, the principal things that uh, that has disappeared from the missal in an attempt to implement the Vatican theology of accommodation to the world. Well, and we've been teasing it up to this point, Father, about these changes, so I think it's a good time for us to jump right in and talk about some of the Sunday orations that you have listed for us in this chapter. And as I said, Father has the, the traditional text and then the, the new revised text, the, the touched-up, uh, spiritually enriched text, uh, now with uh, fewer calories or whatever they want to say that uh, the label says. Uh, so, Father, um, the first one that we have is the third Sunday after Pentecost, now known as the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time, for those uh, keeping score in the Novus Ordo. The old text reads, We may so pass through the good things of time that we may not lose the good things of eternity. So the first part of the prayer is the same. It says, We may so pass through the good things of time that we may not lose the good things of eternity. The new text reads, we may now so use transient things that we may cling to those things which endure. And again, I, 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 as I led with the show, Father, the Norbertines are next to me saying, well, Stephen, there's something wrong with that. You're clinging to the things that endure. That's talking about eternity. But you point out the very subtle thing that's been changed. And, and you know, what, what, what disappears is the idea that there is a, an opposition between the values of the world and the values of the Christian. And then there is also the idea of uh, losing the good things of eternity, in other words, damnation. That's an idea that modern man does not want to hear about. And so uh, the authors of the New Collects uh, accommodate him. So it's all, it's the whole idea is blunted. It's blunted out of this, this worship for the world. Well, and two, in the Latin, we lose, they, they use the same, uh, um, there's a poetic link because they've got good things of time versus good things of eternity. And those match in case and, and gender and, and, and number. So that there's a beauty. And obviously for you as the priest saying it, it flows off your lips easier. Um, I'm, I'm not certain that it works that way in the, in the Latin version of the, the, the Novus Ordo. No, it's, it's, even though they got a couple of Latins to try, a lot of it comes off rather clumsy because they're using non-standard, um, uh, non-standard language, non-standard concepts in, in Latin. And again, that's just one of those little details you, that we're going to miss because either you know we're not listening to Father... Uh, say those words, or if we're reading it in the Latin, you're not necessarily keeping track of the distance, but all of these gestures, every every little part of the Mass matters. And if you want to consign it and say, well, those are just externals, and that doesn't matter, and Father's getting hung up on the small stuff, um, we've got more evidence for you. Here's another one. Uh, this is from the second Sunday after Easter. And again, the first part of the prayer is the same, but then it goes on to say, uh, that whereas thou hast saved them 
from the perils of everlasting death, thou mayest bring them to possess eternal joys. That's the traditional text. The new text says that whereas thou hast saved them from the slavery of sin, thou mayest bring them to possess eternal joys. And again, slavery of sin is substituted for everlasting death. Uh, yes, and, and uh, you know, a clear allusion there to, uh, to hell and the possibility of hell. But um, instead of that, you have uh, the slavery of sin. So it's the, the, uh, there's a uh, there's a change there. There's a, a change of what you're supposed to concentrate on. Here's another one. This is from the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost in the traditional calendar and the 34th Sunday in ordinary time uh, for the Novus Ordos. We beseech the Almighty God that Thou suffer us not to yield to human dangers, whom Thou hast gladdened with a share of things divine. And the new text reads that we who have rejoiced by sharing in things divine, thou wouldst wouldst permit never to be separated from thee. So the the idea here again, the contrast is this idea of of human dangers, that not everything is rosy in the world from a spiritual or temporal point of view. And there are, in fact, many dangers uh, around us uh, in this life, that if we uh, accede to them, could cause us to lose that share with things divine. So even as something like that, which is a little bit subtle, the revisers couldn't even leave that in. That that had to go as well. Well, and and too, Father, I, this is the problem with having an English major as as a host. Is you know I'm I'm so bothered by the loss of the beauty of the language. Even again, and this is in the English. This isn't even in the original Latin. But that that contrast between yield to human dangers with a share of things divine. That that counterpoint. They can't even. It's it's a clumsy revision. It's not just clumsy in its concepts, but it's not even beautiful in the way that they're expressing it. They have to make it ugly in every way, ugly theologically and ugly in prose. And that is, is in, in indeed the case. That's exactly what happens. So by, by touching up, they mean uh, mess up the canvas entirely. Yes, it, it's get out, the, uh, get out the chainsaw. So uh, you go on to talk about the Lenten orations, um, and we don't have examples in the text, but What's the spirit of the changes of of the Lenten orations as opposed to some of the the Sunday ones we just cited? Well, the um, if you're attentive to the Lenten or, orations on Sundays and on the weekdays, you have this uh, the recurring idea of the uh, note of of Lent is spiritual note of Lent is fasting and mortification. Uh, that um, we are, uh, this is to be a truly penitential season. And so this theme occurs time and and, uh, time again. But since Paul VI abolished the traditional Lenten discipline, uh, it makes no sense anymore to talk about abstinence or fasting or anything like that. So these ideas had to go. Uh, another interesting consideration is, of course, that these are very all very ancient prayers. And once again, we find the contradiction between uh, the uh, modernists uh, expressed uh, 
professed principle that we're restoring things to the uh, pr- uh, the, the uh, pristine norms of the church fathers and what they actually did because the fathers regarded the Lent uh, and the, the penance as, as a time of fasting and of mortification. And in the post-Vatican II church, uh, they don't. So you had a uh, this, this whole note of uh, Lent was changed. So if you had um, uh, uh, fasting or mortification, now uh, in Lent they only talk about moderation and, and uh, restraint uh, and so on. So it, it, it's, uh, all of this was, uh, was blunted. All of this was, uh, was blunted. And they they uh, did it in, in the uh, uh, prayers for some of the prayers for Holy Week as well. Uh, the mention of Judas Iscariot, uh, even the negative reference to him, disappeared. And then they had to revise everything uh, about the Ash Wednesday blessings and, and orations because the whole nature of what followed. Uh, had to be changed. Believe it or not, uh, actually, in um, uh, I believe it's in uh, an article by Bugnini, he said that Concilium actually uh, considered abolishing Ash Wednesday, but it was was so rooted in uh, the devotion of the people that they really couldn't uh, bring themselves to uh, abolish <laughs> it because of the uh, practical considerations. Yeah. So, but what would, what would Santa Sabina do on Ash Wednesday? I mean, they're they're be a big riot. Uh, yeah, I, uh, 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 I, I really don't know. I mean, uh, unless you were supposed to go off to the Italian equivalent of the steakhouse, Sabina's <laughs> Steakhouse or something like that. Uh, so it was it's, uh, ridiculous, but you see the whole change of the character of, of Lent in what they did to these orations. Father goes on to point out some of the same changes among the collects of the saints. And I'll just cite three that we have in this chapter as well. The first is for the second Sunday of Advent. The phrase is in the traditional text, to despise earthly things and to love heavenly things. And the new text reads, to consider wisely earthly things and cleave to heavenly things. I'm I'm sure our listeners don't need to have it be explicated too much that despising earthly things isn't exactly the same thing as considering them wisely. Um, Moving on to the collect for St. Peter Damien, that by a contempt of earthly things, we may obtain everlasting joys. The new text says, putting nothing before Christ and always intent on the service of thy church. Man, that is so Novus Ordo, that text right there. I mean, it just just screams Novus Ordo. And then uh, for St. Cajetan, again, the text, desiring only or desire only heavenly things and the Novus Ordo version, eagerly seek thy kingdom. And I, so, this these, this theme in particular, uh, the uh, contempt uh, for earthly things, which reflects the radical difference uh, between the city of God and the city of man. This theme occurs constantly in the collects for the saints, uh, in the traditional missal, and their their uh, ability to have. Um, a, a contempt for the things of the world uh, and, to sep- and their willingness to separate themselves from the world is something in the colleagues that's presented as, as virtuous and uh, as the ideal. All of that went 
the reason it went is because of the theology of Vatican II, that it, it is a um, this the the uh, virtues that we see in the lives of the saints uh, as regards contempt for uh, the world. This is is regarded as a vice by the Church of Vatican II, so it has to go. And they're very, very consistent in that. Again, it's another example that unless you were a real um, expert on liturgical texts and uh, understood the language uh, and the in in detail of uh, the old orations, you wouldn't necessarily notice this. Or you wouldn't notice it because it, but it, it is uh, something that is consistently present. So your Norbertine priest would tell you, well, you know, Stephen, there's nothing wrong with this new text. Well, when you compare it to the old text, you see exactly what's going on. It's a major theological shift as regards the theology of the world. And, and my question is, Father, who, who, who were we supposed to get with this? Were, were we going to get a bunch of new converts because Protestants didn't believe that the world was sinful? I mean, I thought Luther taught us that, you know, everything about this planet is terrible. What were we supposed to get with these changes, these ones? I think the idea was to get what they would call modern man, secular modern man, convert him to the... Um, uh, to uh, version the so-called version of Catholicism by changing all of these these uh, concepts uh, about the world and by saying that well you know you have have a lot of good really good stuff going on there and we think that basically you're a great guy and we're minimizing uh, concepts that uh, are offensive to you in in your uh, secular worldview. And uh, come on in and, and join us. Well, of course, as we never tire in saying, that was a complete flop. Uh, it it uh, uh, d- uh, did not work. And if anything, it made the uh, church appear compromising and uh, spineless and ridiculous. So the idea was, uh, again, to uh, win over these people, and it didn't work. We want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Work of Human Hands on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and Father Chicada has been walking us through various changes to the orations, the spirit behind the orations. We've named a couple of names of uh, the changers um, themselves. Talked about the concept of, of negative theology and the fact we have to get rid of that, uh, getting rid of penance and, and, and abstinence and the, uh, the asceticism of Lent. And just now we were speaking about some of the saints. And speaking of saints, I suppose we need to talk about uh, the dead people in Novus Ordo, because that's where those are all saints at that point. I mean, we've gotten rid of the black vestments, and we've gotten rid of uh, the sadness of a funeral. So, well, that was certainly my certainly my impression as uh, an organist when I was in the seminary in Milwaukee. I'd be called to. Uh, uh, substitute for organists as different churches throughout the diocese to play for funerals when the regular organist wouldn't be available. And um, they took on the character really of, of canonization ceremonies. It was really quite uh, amazing to see for someone like myself who had been, uh, you know, a, a, a uh, the part of the pre-Vatican II Church who had seen funerals and requiem masses to see this complete uh, shift from prayers for the soul of the departed 
uh, to, in effect, a, a canonization, that everyone became a saint. Could I get you to read, Father, the collect on the day of burial, um, that uh, the, the phrase that was removed, the one that starts with, that thou wouldst deliver? Oh, yes. Uh, that thou wouldst deliver not his soul into the hands of the enemy, nor forget him forever, but command that he be taken up by the holy angels, that he may not undergo the pains of hell. So uh, all of those uh, concepts are uh, alien and offensive to uh, modern man. The idea of the hand of the enemy being delivered over to the, uh, uh, the devil and uh, being forgotten forever by God, and then the uh, mention of being taken up by the holy angels, and then that he may not undergo uh, the pains of hell. So all of those are uh, non-starters for contemporary man and for contemporary theology, that, that the idea of the, of the devil and angels is more or less dismissed as, as, uh, as mythical. Hell is something that contemporary theology, uh, in effect, denies. Uh, and uh, so everything in the uh, that you prayed for before uh, had to be changed. So the uh, uh, you find this this consistent uh, the consistent removal of certain themes throughout uh, all of the orations in the new missal. Well, and the very first uh, line you read that thou wouldst uh, deliver not his soul. That word's gone too. We we can't use the word soul. Yeah, that that was a um, uh, a real surprise. Uh, that uh, f- formerly in, in Latin, you always had the word anima appear, which of course means uh, uh, soul. And uh, when you compared the orations uh, in the old missal to the uh, orations in the new missal. You see that the word soul has been removed. So you don't pray for the soul of John Smith. You simply pray for John Smith. So in taking some of the old orations over, in addition to abolishing hell, the idea is uh, was that that soul, the the notion of soul, was uh, removed, and they did it quite consistently. Uh, the uh, if. Uh, they, uh, if you compare the texts actually uh, that were um, retained, the traditional texts that were retained in the new missal, uh, they they dropped eleven of the traditional orations that employ the word soul, and of the twenty-five traditional orations they retained, uh, out of twenty-five, they uh, uh, removed the word soul from twenty-three of them. So, uh, and I suspect that the, the 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 two remaining was just some sort of an uh, some sort of an oversight. Uh, one of the Benedictines uh, who was involved with this, Father Henry Ashworth, uh, Ashworth said that uh, this was done in order to lighten the prayers. So the uh, you have <laughs> yeah, you have something that's always been uh, part of. Uh, traditional prayers for the uh, dead, the word soul simply disappeared. And one of the cracks that I made in the pamphlet was that uh, on uh, November 2nd, um, uh, this word soul has has disappeared from uh, all nine orations, and that 
my suggestion was that maybe they would uh, rename that uh, feast on November 2nd to No Souls Day because you never hear about them. <laughs> I think it's a good point well taken. If you've managed to remove all of the mention of souls, I don't know if you can really call it All Souls Day. Yeah. <laughs> maybe All Persons Day or All Saints Day because, you know, everyone's saved anyway. Yeah, it's, it's just a continuation of the day before. Right, exactly. Now, uh, the next section, uh, Father, you talked about uh, accommodating ecumenism, and there's a, a long, uh, there's a long uh, collect. It was called uh, the Collect for the Propagation of the Faith, and even the name has to be changed. It's now the Collect for the Evangelization, evangelization of Peoples. Uh, again, not in itself wrong. But um, can you walk us through the differences between the Old Text and the New Text here? Uh, yeah, well, as you say, first of all, the title. The, the idea is that the Catholics are obliged to prop, uh, uh, propagate the faith and bring people to the faith. Uh, the new concept is evangelize. That means, well, we're going to preach the gospel to you. Uh, this doesn't necessarily imply the idea of it, uh, adherence to the faith. Then as you go through it, just about everything is, is uh, changed. Um, the old text speaks about sending labors into thy har- harvest uh, so that the word may run and be glorified and that all nations may know thee, the only God in whom uh, thou hast sent Jesus Christ our Lord. But uh, this, this idea then is uh, changed uh, to simply the idea of preaching the gospel to every creature. Uh, so that the people may advance in the way of salvation and charity. So in one collect, the purpose of it was to bring nations to know the only true God and, and uh, Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a, a quote from the Gospel. In the new collect, it simply uh, seems to be preaching the Gospel. So the, the idea of, of conversion, a true idea of, of uh, getting people to adhere to the faith, is not uh, is not present. Well, and again, that militancy is gone. This idea that there is one true church that we want all nations to know, uh, it's 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 re- completely removed. And we see this again in another citation you have uh, in this section. Um, I have to say with with rather rich irony uh, about St. Pius V. Uh, His Holiness's original text is one that very much fits him (laughs) and his, um, let's say, uh, fundamental orientation as Supreme Pontiff. And and the new text is, is, I I suppose, an homage to the the new post-Vatican II papacy, at least the concept of it. Can you tell us about the differences here, Father? Well, the, the uh, idea, remember, that, that Pius V was the um, pope who promulgated the traditional missile and who was against the, the uh, Protestant heretics and who, who fought very strenuously against the heresies that were threatening the church uh, uh, in that time. And the old collect um, speaks of that uh, very clearly. The idea of, uh, may we cleave to thy service, that overcoming the snares of our enemies, we may rejoice in eternal peace. So there's this this idea of of combat uh, against the enemies, uh, overthrowing the enemies of thy church. Uh, And in the new text, this is changed to, well, simply uh, protecting the faith. 
uh, and uh, that we may share, share the mysteries of the Mass with a more lively faith. So the idea is that uh, here is that there's no uh, opposition really anymore between uh, truth and error. That those who teach theological errors are not really enemies uh, anymore. So this this is a shift in line uh, with Vatican II. You you see the the similar concepts um, uh, removed, uh, for instance, in the prayer to um, uh, for Saint Robert Bellarmine. Uh, and uh, also, uh, for the sake of ecumenism, the, uh, the notion that the Pope governs the Church uh, has been removed in the uh, two orations for the Pope. So you see this, this spirit of uh, accommodation and compromise. Well, and for those who listened to our episode on trad controversies this month on Holy Week, uh, this is a, a little bit more surgical look at some of the things that we alluded to. Uh, but Father, can you tell us a little bit about what happened to the oration for heretics and schismatics and uh, some of the other changes, oration for the pagans, oration for the Jews? We spoke about this in sort of broad strokes and and a a little bit about the Good Friday changes um, towards the end of the episode. But can you get a bit more specific as you do here in this chapter? Sure. Uh, these, first of all, remember that these are the Good Friday prayers uh, recited at the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified, uh, and, or at the communion service now on Good, Good Friday, uh, according to the New Holy Week and according to the um, Missal of, of uh, Paul VI. Uh, as I mentioned, these are the most ancient collects in uh, the Church's uh, Missal, in her arsenal of prayers. So, these contain many ideas that were uh, offensive to modernists and, and to ecumenists. So the, the, the prayer for heretics and schismatics uh, repudiates several fundamental presuppositions of the modernist uh, theological system. First of all, it places the heretics and schismatics outside the church. According to the theology of Vatican II, they are somehow part of the church and have elements of the church. So that phrase had to go. The the um, uh, phrase or the the the, the prayer implied that uh, error leads you to hell. Obviously, that has to go. It mentions the existence of the devil, which modern man dismisses. Uh, it characterizes heresy as something uh, evil. And mentioning that, of course, is um, offensive to modern man and to modernist theologians because it doesn't really matter what you believe. So uh, all of that basically had to go. They came up with a prayer for um, the unity of Christians uh, instead. So that's that's one element. The prayer for the Jews no longer speaks speaks of their faithlessness or blindness or the veil over their hearts. And all of that language, by the way, is is, is based on the teaching of the fathers of the church and their discussion of the status of the Jews. So it's it's uh, not something as we would uh, uh, people would like to tell us that you know originated in 1930s in Hitler's Germany. But this is the, 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 all of this language is is uh, very very ancient. So here, um, uh, this prayer had to go, and the new prayer, uh, of all things, asks God that the Jews increase in faithfulness to their covenant. 
which of course was superseded by the um, uh, New Testament, and then come to the fullness of redemption as if you can have partial redemption in the superseded old law. So the idea of conversion is gone, and so too in the oration for the pagans, this prayer no longer prays for the conversion either. So it, it, it um, uh, you have this this reworking of very ancient prayers ca- containing ancient theological concepts. They're always taught and believed by the church uh, out of ecumenism and a desire to uh, accommodate oneself to contemporary modernist theology and to modern secular values. Well, I suppose if you don't cons- if you consider the covenant has been quote unquote never revoked, uh, that these prayers fit right in. Of course, of course. But I, we don't know anybody who believes those that that. No, that, we that, certainly uh, we certainly don't. Not, not that we're we as white habits anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. Again, this is just an overview of Father's chapter. We always recommend. I know Justin has said this on previous episodes. You need to read the book if you take. If, uh, I think the the video series will help. I think the odd, the reason that we have the radio show is because we think this helps. But this is to simply give you a, a sense and a taste of what Father is covering. But if you really want to know this, if you genuinely, if you have, if you're in the Novus Ordo yourself, or you have Novus Ordo friends, you need to know what you're talking about. And you're not going to know what you're talking about just because you, you listen to Father on a radio program or you, you watch one of Father's videos. That's going to give you a, a sense and a starting point. But you need to go in and read and, and look at some of the footnotes and check out some of the footnotes yourself so that when you're talking with people, they take you seriously, that you've gone through and you've read and you've, you've thought, you've prayed about these things. The last two things I want to touch on today, Father, before we close out our episode, are two things that also have to go by the wayside, things like the merits of the saints and, and miracles. We don't believe in miracles anymore. Can you tell us what's gone by the wayside here? So uh, this was actually one of the, the first things that I noticed in the prayer for St. Gertrude the Great, that the old prayer mentioned her, her her merits, and the new prayer doesn't talk about her merits at all. So why in the world would they do that? You had uh, about 200 orations out of uh, 11 or, or 1,200 in the old missal um, that were from the... Uh, uh, proper of the saints that talked about the merits of the saints. And in virtually every case, these were removed. The explanation, the only one I can figure out, is that this is was done in the name of ecumenism, because the uh, Protestant, classical Protestantism, believes human nature is so corrupt that it can't merit anything at all. And certainly a saint can't merit anything uh, for you in their system. So the idea here is that merits go. The, the idea of merits go in the name of ecumenism. So that is one of the, um, is to my way of thinking, the uh, explanation. And I cite Colic after Colic where these the merits simply uh, disappear. Well, and if you have the if you put that con, uh, concomitant with Pius uh, with Paul the Sixth getting rid of a lot of indulgences, um, that makes sense, right? Because that's part of that treasury that we can avail ourselves of. Sure, exactly. And remember that one of Bugnini's first public statements in the Servitore Romano was that he wanted to remove from the mass anything that could give a, a, a offense to our uh, separated brethren, in other words, the heretics. 
No, that's a you're using a horrible H word again, Father. Oh, awful, isn't it? Politically incorrect. <laughs> so, no more merits to the saints, no more miracles either. That's right. One one of the um, standard uh, errors of modernist theology uh, is that um, is to dismiss the uh, miracles of of uh, Christ or to dismiss the miracles of the saints as uh, simply little stories to make a point that they have no connection with reality. So in the um, different. Uh, traditional orations to the saints that, that mentions, uh, mention miracles or alluded to different miracles, these references were simply uh, removed, simply um, uh, pulled out or, or uh, destroyed. So uh, when it comes to the uh, saints, these are gone. And then uh, also when it comes to uh, Blessed Mother, that her um, uh, the Feast of Our Lady of the Lourdes uh, no longer mentions her apparition, right? And um, so that seems to be something that is uh, dismissed as well. But even uh, two of the orations which recounted the miraculous uh, events in the life of our Lord, those have been changed. So the the, um, the transfiguration uh, no longer speaks of God's, uh, uh, or alludes to God's voice speaking from the cloud. And the miracle of the raising of Lazarus uh, was removed from the colic where it formally appeared as well. So just about everything, uh, everything you could do there on the, the level of, of miracles in the supernatural order and phenomenon, phenomena is gone. Because modern man doesn't believe in them and the modernist theology uh, rejects them as well. Well... Father, I think that's, that's quite a bit, and as usual, I need to, to bring the episode to a close because we're, we're up against our time. Uh, today, we've been talking about orations with Father. This has been Chapter 9, uh, subtitled uh, New Values and New Perspectives, and the title is The Revised Orations. So Father's talked about the orations as regards negative theology, the Christian in the world, prayers for the dead, ecumenism, merits of the saints, and we just finished up with, with miracles. We Father has pointed out that not just the style of the orations, uh, but their doctrinal content have been changed. I've also remarked that the, the beauty is gone as well, the, even the beauty of the prose. And I want to end with, we haven't been citing too many numbers, but percentages matter. And I, I want to take this back to the beginning, Father. I told you about how the Norbertine Fathers would tell me that, that not too much has really been changed. And the statistic you cited in this chapter was one that was told to me which is, well, this is substantially the same. So the number you were given was 75%. So you're saying that the 75% of the Pius V Missal is inside the Missal of Paul VI. And you go through to explain why this number is not just off, but way off. And I thought we might conclude the episode with you explaining that. Yeah, and this was the, the result of um, digging around with extremely uh, primitive uh, database programs, but uh, we did compare all the texts, and uh, the uh, traditional missile uh, contains uh, 1,182 orations, and uh, they were uh, put together in a um, 
series of texts by a man named Brillant, uh, the the Orations of the Roman Missal, which was the standard reference work. Uh, of those 760 orations, uh, of those 1182, 760 were dropped entirely. Then that left you with uh, 36% of the traditional missal uh, in the new missal. Of those, the revisers altered over half of them before putting them into the new missal. So thus, only 17% of the orations in the old missal made it unchanged into the new missal. So uh, that's one thing to consider, purely in the question of text. Then even that percentage can be reduced when you realize that uh, the 1182 orations were only individual texts in the traditional missal. It, it didn't take into account the many times they were repeated throughout the liturgical year. So as far as uh, uh, so-called hermeneutic of continuity uh, between the, new, the old missal and the new missal, there really is none. That is, that is a complete fraud, and people have been lied to about that uh, for decades. I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, that's Father just being negative again, and he's just not, uh, he's not gaining new perspectives uh, so that he well, can understand well, this better. Is, this is why, Stephen, at the beginning of the show, we have uh, organ music in a minor key, you know, <laughs> that if we had something a little more uh, positive, uh, some sort of a chorale prelude on, I don't know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or... Uh, <laughs> Everything is beautiful in its own way. I think that would uh, uh, give sort of a different spirit to the proceedings. Well, well, thankfully, no one who plays the organ at St. Gertrude's knows how to play Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So uh, at least we hope we hope not. <laughs> we hope not. <laughs> well, Father, as always, thank you. We want to remind our listeners, you can find Work of Human Hands back in print uh, at sggresources.org for significant savings off of Amazon's prices. Uh, but again, if you want to pay Amazon's prices and just send the money on to Father, uh, Father will find a good use for, the, for them. Uh, we, we definitely can pledge to that. Father, as always, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. It's a, a pleasure talking with you. God bless you all. Thank you, Father. We want to remind you that if you have any questions for clarification on anything Father has talked about today uh, in, the ch- in the chapter, uh, or if you have any questions about anything that this this discussion stirred up, please feel free to to write an email uh, to the show. Remember that uh, all of these emails are confidential and they'll go right to Father. And there are human hands at truerestoration.org, human hands at truerestoration.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.